Listen Up is a Widex original podcast. Hey, we're back. This episode is dedicated to the complex nature of hearing and listening. We will take apart one of the most important human senses, hearing, and piece by piece tell the story of how it works and how artificial intelligence can fix it if it doesn't work. I've talked to a lot of audiologists and other smart people working within this research field. You will hear what they have to say in this episode. First things first. Before we dive into all of this, have you ever considered the difference between hearing and listening? Hearing is simply the act of perceiving sound by the ear. If you are not hearing impaired, hearing simply happens. Listening, however, is something you consciously choose to do. Listening requires concentration so that your brain processes meaning from words and sentences. Okay, we're ready. We can just make products with features, but if those features don't... This is Oliver. Oliver's email signature reads, Senior Audiology Specialist at Widex. He is one of the many audiologists at Widex who bridge science and technology with the real life. But if those features don't add up into something that provides a tangible solution to the user, then we haven't really delivered anything apart from a, a cool techie device with like, you know, a multifunction tool. And you can flip that out and it does this and flip that out and it does that. But those things aren't necessarily related for the, for the user. Later in the story, we will take apart these features and explain how it changes everything. But let's cover one thing first. What is hearing loss? Let's zoom out a little bit. Hearing loss would be any report, self-report or measurable difference in hearing from the normal baseline. That may sound a little bit vague, but we have a good guess that normal hearing is the ability of the ear to hear any sound at around 0 to 20 decibels on the hearing loss scale. Please allow me for one second to map out the two factors, frequencies and decibels. Let's start with frequencies. Here are five facts. One, an audio frequency is a periodic vibration. That means that sound propagates as mechanical vibration waves of pressure and displacement in air or other substances. Two, you measure frequencies in hertz. Three, frequency is the property of sound that most determines pitch. Four, the generally accepted standard hearing range for humans is 20 to 20,000 hertz. In air at atmospheric pressure, these represent sound waves with wavelengths of 17 meters to 1.7 centimeters. That's 56 feet to 0.67 inches. 5. Frequencies below 20 hertz are generally felt rather than heard, assuming the amplitude of the vibration is great enough. High frequencies are the first to be affected by hearing loss due to age or prolonged exposure to very loud noises. Okay, that was frequencies. What are decibels? The decibel originates from methods used to quantify signal loss in telegraph and telephone circuits. One decibel is one-tenth, deci, of one bell, named in honor of Scottish-born inventor, scientist, and engineer Alexander Graham Bell, who is credited with inventing and patenting the first practical telephone. However, the unit bell is seldom used, 
Today, the decibel is used for a wide variety of measurements in science and engineering, most prominently in acoustics and electronics. But decibels, or the measure of sound, is not linear. I have to remember that 0 to 20 doesn't sound like a, a huge scale, um, because we're quite used to linear scales, like the speed in your car, 0 to 20, 20 to 40, 40 to 60 kilometers an hour. They're the same increases in a car because speed is, uh, speed is, is linear, or the decibel scale isn't anyway. So the difference between 0 decibels and 100 decibels is actually a million parts. And it's a, it's a logarithmic scale. That means it's um, exponential in its growth. So it, it, the difference between 0 to 20 and 20 to 40 decibels, it's not the same difference between those two points. And uh, because we, we also measure um, it, sound as a pressure as well, that there, it's, it's not as comparable in and its increases in energy. The frequencies that we're most concerned with are from 500 hertz up to 2,000 hertz. This is where most speech sounds appear. But we measure the pure tone audiogram, which is the standard measurement for hearing loss, ranging from 250 hertz up to 8,000 hertz. Let's demonstrate the frequency range. First, at 250 hertz. Now, at 500 hertz. Now, at 500 hertz. Okay, 2,000 hertz. 2,000 hertz. And then, 8,000 hertz. Since you now know the basics of audio frequencies and decibel, let's jump into the fascinating world of hearing loss. As mentioned, hearing loss would be any report, self-reported or measurable difference in hearing from the normal baseline. People can start to report issues even though they are within the normal range of hearing, so below 20 decibels. But we expect that most people will start to report an issue with their hearing to say, I, I think I have a hearing loss when they start to have difficulties hearing speech. Um, because to be honest most people don't don't we don't start to miss noises too much but we miss information and connections and communication so we can maybe put up with or tolerate or not notice when quieter sounds have gone from our lives you know if we start to get a, a hearing loss in a 20 or 30 decibels but if we start to miss speech then we have a problem. And speech is normal speech. If you're about a meter apart and somebody's talking um, at, at a reasonable level, uh, it's probably about between 45, 50, 55 dB uh, at the ear. So my hearing starts to fall into that range. I'm going to have difficulty hearing all parts of speech. And... Speech uh, is across a frequency bandwidth, and some of the most important parts of speech are, are the consonant sounds, S, S, T, F, sh, the fricatives, the ones that we form on our, our lips and tongues, and uh, some. And so, as your hearing 
degrades and those frequencies, mainly that the high frequencies uh, damage first, then you start to have problems understanding speech because you miss the important parts of the speech which give the words the meaning. So uh, here I'm, 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 I'm getting to the answer in the sense that I think uh, we can have a diag I can diagnose a hearing loss by measuring your hearing and you work in sound. I'm sure you've been to some loud concerts and live music. Um, there will be some noise exposure in your history. I have no doubt. And noise exposure over time is just what wear and tear and aging of the hearing is. So you could have an underlying hearing loss or the beginnings of a, of a hearing loss. Maybe your hearing is at 20 dB or 25 dB at 4 kilohertz. But that's not a problem, right? It's not causing you any difficulties in understanding speech. And speech and noise is, is difficult anyway um, when we get into some really noisy environments. So it may be that you haven't, you won't notice any problem. So there's the hearing loss on paper. But is that an actual hearing loss? You know, to think about it philosophically, is it only a hearing loss once it becomes a problem? And once we have difficulties understanding speech? Well, there's probably a more scientific definition, and maybe there's a more social definition, depending on how you're looking at it. But maybe we should look at it scientifically. Because actually that hearing loss that you have today could be the start of something that we should flag and track because the brain is plastic and if you don't give it the right information all the time it starts to switch stuff off and if we are you know there's there could be a mild bit of sensory deprivation with a very mild uh, high frequency hearing loss that causes you to not get all the sound your brain has been working hard to fill the gaps, but over time it's like, oh, I'm not hearing that sound anymore. It'll kind of forget the, 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 the coding for that sound. And we get into a potential state where actually doing something earlier, i.e. giving the sound back to the brain earlier, helps it reinforce or, or uh, maintain the, the, the uncoding of information better. Does that make sense? I know it's a little bit off topic, but it's, it's kind of good background information. Hearing aids becoming progressively smarter and more automatic because they're able to analyze the environment based on, on libraries um, and also forms of, of, of training, um, machine learning or in, the, in the hearing aid, that we could basically the the hearing aid we could go into different environments and detect different uh, qualities of the sound, um, different amounts of, of speech and noise, and then adjust how it would process the sound to to reflect what we believe to be the best uh, thing for the user. And, and hearing aids were get are getting work are getting more and more automatic and, and smarter. Hearing aids are becoming progressively smarter and more automatic because they're able to analyze the environment based on libraries and machine learning that is incorporated in the hearing aid. It's able to identify different environments and detect different qualities of the sound and amount of noise, and then adjust how it processes the best sound for the user. But we were um, 
you know, reaching a, a point where we were still not able to to really understand what the user wanted in the moment uh, and understand what they wanted to, to hear because nobody knows what the user wants better than, than the user. So the question is, what is the best way to understand what somebody wants? The obvious answer to that question is to ask them questions. But, well, the hearing care professionals and the ones who make your hearing aids can't just pop up to ask questions about the preferred settings of your hearing aids when you're having dinner in a noisy restaurant. So we, we came up with the idea of, of using an, an AI-powered algorithm that we called SoundSense Learn. AI. Artificial intelligence. For some, it's an intimidating term. For others, a solution. To intuitively guide the user to understand their their preference for the sound in the moment. Let's go 10,000 feet up to get the helicopter view and perspective on AI. This is Lars Melo, a software engineer with a PhD in machine learning. Lars has a long resume. I really like building stuff. He worked for Apple for a time and then other tech companies. He also worked in finance for a while. And uh, now I'm here uh, doing the insane thing of building uh, my own company. The company Lars is building is named Corti, a voice-based digital assistant powered by artificial intelligence and capable of understanding patients talking in natural language, as their webpage explains. Lars is the co-founder and CTO, and he knows a lot about artificial intelligence. Back in the 80s and 90s, words like machine learning and artificial intelligence weren't part of everyday language, even though the term dates back to the 50s. The technology was new and didn't really work, which is why it took so long for the term to stick. Since then, researchers and other smart people have used a tremendous amount of time trying to make it work. And finally, I would go as low as 2006, that is when it really started to, to work. Lars was a young man in the 80s and 90s, where the term artificial intelligence meant something that no one really understood. So when, uh, when, you, when you talked about artificial intelligence in the 80s, then you would say, okay, uh, artificial intelligence must be a computer that is able to beat Kasparov in chess, right? Then we have Deep Blue. That was, uh, that was a quite simple uh, algorithmic system that was implemented, but, uh, but the compute was, was, was vast so that the, that the computer was actually, in fact, able to, to beat Kasparov, right? And then it wasn't AI anymore because you could explain it. You could explain the system. You could, from an engineering point of view, say that that's, this is just, in quotation marks, an algorithm. In case you aren't already familiar with it, in 1997, the IBM computer Deep Blue beat the chess king Garry Kasparov with only 19 moves. After that victory, artificial intelligence would often be explained as a computer algorithm. And so framing it that way, you might think that the term artificial intelligence would have faded away. Well, as you know, that wasn't really the case, because... Right, and, um, and then you started to say, okay, 
artificial intelligence, let's jump uh, some years in time and say from uh, that artificial intelligence must be when our cars are able to drive by themselves. Now we see cars out on the street, um, at least in test scenarios, that they are in fact able to drive by themselves. That's not perceived as AI anymore, right? So, so I think that the that the that the boundaries they they keep on being being pushed and. Um, And it's 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 a word connotation that we keep on using for something that is not not really explainable. So I think it's actually nice when when things start to be explainable because then they actually have a use case and then they can be used in the everyday society and then then it's just but but amazingly a, a an engineering effort that 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 came true. Today, the term machine learning is closely related to AI. Now we basically call it machine learning, right? The, the ability to take a, a vast amount of data and uh, and and uh, and uh, bring it forward to a computer, forward propagate uh, through the computer, and have the computer learn from that data and learn correlations of that data in order to predict something, right? So we have a lot of uh, AI systems that are actually uh, out there in production or in tests. Um, uh, systems are, uh, amongst others, uh, but but some of the most impactful systems are, for instance, fMRI scan uh, image segmentation models that are basically trying to search for anomalies in the fMRI scan. So if you go in and have a scan of your brain and they are seeking for some anomaly, for instance, a tumor inside your brain, then they then they can now use um, some some. Uh, if you go back to 2010, you would call it an AI system, but now you would just call it a machine learning model that is computing or that image in order to find an anomaly in, in in your brain scan in order to see whether you are in fact sick and hopefully also find that tumor uh, earlier rather than later. Okay, it seems that whether you're using the term artificial intelligence or computer learning model, it's more or less the same thing we're talking about. If you're the less tech-savvy person, you might go with the term artificial intelligence. Anyway... I'm not here to judge which term is the better one. I'm here to give you some good examples of how AI is helping people to connect with people. Let's dive into how AI could do that and also save lives. Corti is is trying to approach the problem that that is in the healthcare system that is saying that in 2035 we are lagging at least 18 million uh, doctors and um, and We have a lot of misdiagnosis and a lot of uh, faulty diagnosis, inadequate diagnosis. We see uh, from some studies that uh, around 88% of the diagnoses are either faulty or, or um, inadequate diagnose, uh, diagnosis uh, towards the patients. And um, and that is uh, the problem that we are trying to uh, alleviate with uh, with uh, machine learning models, AI technology here. Um, And the way that we're doing that is that we are listening in on healthcare conversations. So if you were my doctor and I sat in front of you, then I would explain my symptoms. I would explain what is wrong. I would explain how that, that hurts my everyday. And you would try to understand that and you would try to triage me. And triaging is a fancy word for prioritization, right? So you would try to prioritize me. Is this really, uh, really that serious? Or is it is it just a just a man flu or or, or what is it here um, that that is wrong with me? Should you uh, pass me along in the healthcare system or should you turn me back home and ask me to come back in seven days if 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 I still feel these symptoms? 
that is a, an immensely diff- difficult task for a for a doctor or a nurse paramedic, and that is done all over the healthcare system. Whether that is the general practitioner, whether that is the nurse at the hospital that is that is that is uh, walking um, her or his rounds on the hospital, or whether that is a, a an operator receiving a 911 call, 112 call in Europe, um, uh, of a critical emergency, or whether it's the um, whether it's the um, doctor that is trying to assess a mental illness and you can start thinking about how many conversations are actually living under the the evil truth truth of of two human beings sitting and trying to understand one another and um Understanding one another can be really difficult. A, a conversation can can immensely fast be ambiguous, and uh, I can I can give you a cue on on some symptoms that you can hear a little bit stronger than other symptoms, and that can that can leave your brain to bias. Back to the fact, your brain is built to to towards the fact that it's trying to get away uh, or get rid of all of the noise in order to see the signal, and thereby you're biasing your brain, which. And sometimes, sometimes can be good. Sometimes it can be really bad. For instance, our first primary use case have been within 911 services, 112 services. So when someone calls in to an emergency medical service, and they are normally in very uh, a high degree of distress, and they uh, normally wouldn't call in uh, to a service like that uh, if if something wasn't really wrong. So these are people really trying to, to to make their case in order to get an ambulance as quickly as possible. So they call in and uh, and they are received by an operator. That operator can have a fluctuating uh, degree of education here in Denmark or the uh, various places in the US. They can have high degrees of education. Other places, for instance, in the US, they can have down to to two weeks uh, worth of education, and they can be as low as 17 years old. Right. So you can, in one of the worst days, on one of the worst days in your life, you can be received by a 17 year old with with two weeks of education. And uh, you are, to the best extent of, of what you know about the situation at hand, trying to disseminate what is wrong. Let's go back to that situation with your relative who desperately needs an ambulance. So it's not easy. And why is it not easy? That is because these conversations are ambiguous. A lot of the times the patient is is suffering from something called agonal breathing. So that's that's something that can sound like breathing, but it's not breathing. And you and the and the patient is in fact clinically dead at that moment, but uh, since it's also a lot of times relatives calling in and so forth, they can they can be they can be biased towards the uh, uh, towards the conclusion that the patient is breathing. So the operator not seeing the patient, not being close to the case of emergency, they would say, okay, the the patient is breathing, so it's not that acute. We can wait a little bit with the ambulance, and that can be gruesome. So with our with our AI, we can see that we can decrease the amount of uh, wrongly diagnosed patients by 43%, and we can increase the time to detection by 25%. So that is a life-saving capability that we can go in augment the human operator in the conversation in order to make better decisions faster. So how it works is that when someone is calling in, an operator is is answering the telephone. 911, what's your emergency? Uh, and they ask, uh, what is the emergency about? And at the same time, 
our uh, software pops up on the screen. So if I'm calling you and you're the operator and you have this software in front of you and I'm saying that uh, I have a person uh, down on the floor and, and it seems like the person is unconscious. Then the system would show to you that the that the caller told you that the person was unconscious. So it's basically extracting these different cues throughout the conversation. It's checking up on the questions that you ask. The system is then also detecting what, what questions uh, you probably should also ask in this correspondence uh, to get to the conclusion faster. And then when the system has enough information throughout this interview between two human beings, the system says, okay, we are quite sure that this could be a cardiac arrest. Or we are quite sure that this could be stroke, or we are quite sure that this could be meningitis and so forth, right? Such that such that the human operator can can get the flags up on their screen in order to, to make the right action. It should be said that th- this system doesn't work without the dialogue from the human operator and the patient together. It's helping the human operator. We haven't really touched on it yet, but you probably already know it. AI is everywhere. Sometimes it's behind the scenes, helping you without you being aware of it, like saving lives during an emergency call. Sometimes it's actually right in your face, like when you do a Google search or when you see or hear about self-driving cars. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to actually uh, find out that, that people are slowly getting AI'd and, uh, and, and they're slowly getting their hands off of the wheel in order to do something else. And I think that's a fantastic story. And sometimes AI is in your head, like actually in your head. I'm talking about AI and hearing aids. That's what we're talking about as we leave the tech world and try to prove that the true nature of AI is that it connects people and that... Every day, a woman in Beijing is helping a man in Paris. If you ask a software engineer, what is artificial intelligence? He'll tell you about something to do with machine learning models and other cool tech stuff. If you ask an audiologist, what is artificial intelligence? He will tell you about... In the context that, that we're at now, we're looking at the AI uh, to, to enhance the ability of the users to do tasks. Or you can ask an account manager from Canada. So for, for me, artificial, is, uh, artificial intelligence is making, taking the thinking power away from uh, human, less processing that we have to do. Um, and, and thinking um, in order to have uh, an efficient um, lifestyle, efficient hearing, or whatever it may be. That, to me, is what artificial intelligence means. It means making my life just a little bit easier, less thinking on my part, um, uh, and, and, and processing of how, how I'm going to get to where I want uh, to be. Um, so that's, that's how I see it. It's just making our lives a lot easier. What AI is, is one thing. What it does is another. I would claim that when AI is at its best, it connects people with people. And that's the purpose of this episode, to prove that AI connects people. And that every day, a woman in Beijing is helping a man in Paris. What it all comes down to now is... 
how do you go about enhancing the experience for the hearing aid user? So uh, let's say there was a user walking into a restaurant in in Paris and they were spending uh, a a few minutes with SoundSenseLearn to find the ideal setting for that uh, restaurant that they were in. This is Oliver, the audiologist from Widex. Um, So they would have told the the system that they were in a, uh, a restaurant and they wanted to hear conversation. Then they run the, the program and at that moment, AI and the human were working together, finding an ideal solution and they could save that setting for all the times they were coming back to that restaurant uh, in, in Paris. And then we could have a, a similar user in a in a cafe in Beijing, um, doing the same thing with the SoundSense Learn, making a program, uh, finding a setting, uh, and using AI in a few minutes to find the, these I- ideal settings and saving them. Okay, just to stay on track here, SoundSense Learn is the name of the AI system that Widex uses in their hearing aids. This is what Widex has to say on the matter. Today's hearing aids come with automation to help you forget about the hearing aid and focus on listening. But what if the listening experience doesn't match how you want to hear? Your hearing care professional has done a great job. You've got automatic sound environment detection turned on, you're all set to go out into the world and listen to your heart's content. Yet at some point, you experience a listening situation where the sound is not quite how you would like it. Here's why. The automatic system in your hearing aid makes assumptions about how you want to hear. And while it's most often right, occasionally it doesn't hit the mark. Now you have to adjust your hearing aid settings, and maybe only a little bit. But where to start? Enter SoundSense Learn. SoundSense Learn is a technology that helps you control how you hear in the moment, simply by listening to sound profiles suggested by an app on your smartphone. The easy-to-use interface guides you to better hearing by using simple A-B comparisons. All you have to do is choose what sounds best, based on what it is you intend to hear. The automatic machine learning algorithm takes care of the rest. So you might say that AI isn't a new thing in hearing devices. And you'd be right. But it's more about how it works today that's interesting. Um, and artificial intelligence in, in hearing aids, um, it has been there in, in the sense that um, we had uh, the ability of the hearing aid to detect a change in the environment and then switch to a different uh, processing profile. So we could detect noise and so then the hearing aid would move the directional microphone to a more directional mode and increase the noise reduction. Well, there is a system which has replaced the job of a a human. And in the past, the user would have to detect. They would walk into a restaurant. They would detect it maybe visually uh, rather than acoustically. But then they would then press a button on their hearing aid to switch from uh, normal hearing processing to noisy environment hearing processing. So uh, by definition, AI has been in hearing aids uh, for a long time uh, to do different tasks. But it, it, in 
in the context that that we are at now, we are looking at the AI uh, to to enhance the ability of the users to do tasks. So we're we're, we're not using AI necessarily to to replace uh, a human. We're using AI to enhance the ability to find a solution in the moment or to take away the need for complex controls um, and also to to process something with a lot of data in a way that can be done very quickly so it feels almost instantaneous because a human is very good at making different judgments, um, judging on multiple uh, parameters. A machine is good at another thing and let's work together to to give the maximum benefit. So in in this case, um, um, SoundSense Learn is able to uh, adjust three hearing aid parameters. And a human is able to adjust three hearing aid parameters. But let's assume that neither the human nor SoundSense Learn, in fact, for a fact, SoundSense Learn doesn't know anything about sound. All it knows is that it, it has these three parameters and all these different combinations of the parameters. Um, and the user might not know anything about sound, but they have an idea in their head of the ideal sound they would like to get to. So we've got the the human. It's really good at knowing the goal, what the sound is. And we have the machine, which is really good at processing all the different combinations and taking a huge data set. In this case, we have three parameters, the low, the middle, and high frequency adjustments. The first parameter is the low frequency. The second parameter is the medium frequency. The second parameter is the medium frequency. The third parameter is the high frequency. Combine the three and you'll have, well, if you were to do that in real life, there's actually over two million possible combinations. Luckily, SoundSense Learn does the matching for you. It uses real inputs from other users in order to do it. And we put the two together, the human that knows what it wants and the computer that can crunch all the data, um, and to create the, the SoundSense Learn feature, which is able to narrow down these thousands of, of combinations um, very quickly to give the user what they want. So in the beginning, uh, SoundSense Learn will present two sound profiles based on two combinations. Um, and the user will display their preference by using a slider. Do you like A sound? Do you like B sound? I like A a bit more than B. Next. Then the and slider on the phone. Slider on the phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the the preferences are um, displayed on a on an app on the smartphone, and all of the user interactions are, are with the smartphone. 
Um, then the the algorithm takes the response and creates two new uh, combination profiles, and the response is then given by the user. And this repeats itself um, about 10 to 15 times, uh, but the algorithm is only needs 10 to 15 uh, responses from the user uh, to narrow down this huge amount of data to find the ideal setting for the user. So that's really one sec. So it's really cool. Um, 10 to 15 comparisons rather than potentially over 2 million comparisons to find the, the ideal setting. And uh, we have lots of evidence to show that users, you know, not only find this um, this uh, very beneficial, but they really like using these programs because when they make these programs, we, we see all the programs that are being made uh, depending on the different situations that that people are in and we 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 know they like them because they keep going back and using them again and again they can save them and go okay this this program really worked for me um, and then they'll come back to these settings again and again and again and uh, you know human behavior tells us people generally only go back to something they find either beneficial or, or they like they're not just doing it because uh, they, they think they should um, so we, we could see that there were loads of programs that were being created all around the world for particular listening situations. Um, and we could see that lots of users had lots of quite unique preferences. So that the settings were initially um, very spread out. At the beginning, we were getting the, the first you know, seeing all these different program settings and um, they looked really, really spread out. We were like, okay, well, people are truly, truly individual here. Um, but uh, over time, as we started to get hundreds of profiles, thousands of profiles uh, coming in, uh, tens of thousands of profiles, uh, hundreds of thousands of profiles, this data really starts to, to accumulate. And when you start to get huge amounts of data, then it is possible actually to analyze that data and you can find patterns, correlations and clusters where you may not have necessarily uh, seen them initially. So we could actually see that whilst people are, are different, there were groups of people that were actually very much the same. And it may have been that the user in Paris and Beijing had very similar tastes or very similar preferences for sound when it came to being in a restaurant and listening to conversation. So we, we've really started to think, well, what if when somebody is in a, a similar scenario in another city in New York and they sit down in a, in a, in a busy restaurant and they, they open up the app and they say, I would like uh, I would like to change the sound. It's not quite exactly what I want. I'm in a restaurant and I want to hear conversation. That we could say, oh, hold on a minute. You're in a restaurant and you want to hear conversation. Actually, we've got hundreds of thousands of, of users who have been a, in a similar situation as you before. And they liked either this or this setting. Why don't you try that out first? because we have all these real life 
references being created with the help of AI in the moment all around the globe. So why shouldn't other users in similar situations like these settings too? So nearly in an instant, the user who sat in New York can benefit from the work that has been done previously by the user in, in Paris and Beijing and could find an ideal setting in one comparison, right? It's, it's even more powerful technology and it's even simpler to use. We're you know, leveraging data now for the benefits of users. And it's, this isn't based on, on trained recordings in a lab. We're not using sound samples from libraries of sound samples. So we have real people helping real people, all assisted by a really smart AI algorithm. By combining the, the user and AI, it's really letting us overcome some of these, these, these obstacles that I was pointing at because the hearing aids can do loads of really cool stuff. And it's got us so far, and now we need to go a step beyond um, and allow people to, to, to really steer the, the hearing, uh, steer the hearing aid themselves um, in a way that doesn't feel cumbersome, in a way that is intuitive, in a way that is powerful. It's you know allowing a user who has very little uh, knowledge of sound to adjust multiple parameters in a way that is not just cool and techy, you know, just twiddle some knobs and good luck. It actually is effective and gives a user an improvement in the, the sound because they're getting closer to really what they want in that moment. And it could be completely different to what we assume they wanted. I hope at this point you've learned a little bit about how AI can be helpful to you. And if you didn't, well, you don't necessarily need to know how artificial intelligence works, because that's the beauty of it. AI doesn't work for us. It works with us. You know, everything's going on behind the scenes. It's almost like asking someone, how did you come up with that idea? The question should be, what's the benefit of that idea? But I do hope we struck a balance between going into what AI is and what AI does. I really hope that you'll take all of the knowledge of the benefits of AI with you. And remember that connection we were talking about. The beauty of AI is that every time someone is using their Widex hearing aids, they're enhancing the experience for other users, which is how a woman in Beijing is helping a man in Paris. This episode on AI and hearing aids is coming to an end. Thanks for staying with us, and please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done that already. Maybe we'll return with a new miniseries sometime in the future. I'm not promising anything, though, but here's to hoping. Speaking of the future, there's still some questions left unanswered. Let's give the final word to Oliver. The big question mark still is about what does the user want? And until we can literally read somebody's mind, we have to ask them, right? We have to ask them what their intention is, either directly, do you want to hear a conversation, or based on some sound options, 
is this what you you want? So th those are maybe some of the, the the next steps. But of course, we, we we're incredibly um, respectful of people's privacy, and we we have to handle data extremely carefully. Um, data is anonymized, so we, we're only talking about other users who are in this situation. It would never be, oh, your neighbor was here last week. They liked similar sounds as you. We, we'll never know who made these sounds. It's 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 completely in, encrypted and, and anonymized. Um, what we we would probably end up um, looking is allowing the allowing AI to adjust different parameters for the user depending on the situation they're in. Um, you, there's a lot we can do just by adjusting three EQ handles, but there's also a lot more we can do by adjusting more parameters. So these are areas that we are, are exploring further, um, but we we don't need to add in so much to, to get a lot more out of this system. It is, it's very uh, powerful in, in itself. We don't have to keep you know, making it more uh, resolution, high resolution in terms of parameters, um, because this is, I mean, this is so powerful already. This is, this is incredible sound that's fueled by big data and allowing us to, to really understand you know, first of all, what an individual wanted in that moment, and then to collectively look at these individual settings and pass them back to other people that are coming into these scenarios for the first time. I mean, that's a huge, huge leap into the future. Listen Up is a Widex original podcast produced by Hear Hear Podcast Studio Edited and scripted by Anders Gulberg with help from Clara Busling. Sound score and music by Matthias Lund. Speak, John Churchill, that's me. Thanks to Oliver Townsend, Lars Mailu from Corti, and all the other smart people who made this podcast possible. Thanks for listening. And remember, enjoy the world and all its amazing sounds surrounding you. <laughs>